when the Lord Jesus wanted to, to see who was really for real, when he wanted to discover who's really following me and who's not following me, he would do something that would shock people. He would almost like throw down the gauntlet. And when the Lord wanted to determine those who were not just playing church, not just going through the motions, when he wanted to discover those that were really, really with him, he would, he would do something like this. Out of the blue, he'd say, if anyone wishes to come after me, or if anyone wishes to be my disciple, that's what a disciple is, someone who follows Jesus. If anyone will come after me, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Wow. For with Jesus, things are to us upside down. For the kingdom of God doesn't operate like this world. And so the Lord, he would, from time to time, he would allow, how am I doing? Is it good? Thanks. He would allow for the opportunity, he would allow the opportunity to discover you know, who's really for real? Who are the ones who are religious and who are the ones that truly follow me? It, when the Lord Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you can't do that unless you're willing to give up your life. Man, that's kind of hard. He says that um, every time we hear it, every time I hear it, it, it it rings a note inside of me that, uh, that re reminds me, makes me remember when I first said, Lord, I'm going to follow you. It was different than the, the Baptist church I grew up in every Sunday where our place was always right there. The Johnsons sat at the, the five, five boys. We sat on the front row right there in the front. And my mom would sit on the piano, which is over there, and she would have an eye shot to us to see if we were behaving or not. It was different than just the routine of assembling to worship. So the Lord, he would say something like this. If you want to follow me, you've got to give up your life. What? Whoever wants to save his life, you lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake, you'll save it. And the Jesus' disciples took him literally. They literally did exactly what he said. Let me give an example. James, that followed the Lord, James the Great, he, he was thrust through with a sword. The emperor ordered his death at the end of his life. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Thomas was pierced with, an, with a pine spear tortured with red-hot plates, and then burned alive in India. Philip was tortured and crucified by the ruler of that city because the ruler's wife got converted under Philip's preaching. He didn't like it, so he killed Philip. 
Matthew, what about Matthew? Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Look at your neighbor and say, you know, you got to watch this. Nice, don't, don't do that, okay? That's bad. Don't, that's, that's really bad. That's, that's bad, okay. Matthew, yeah, Bar- Bartholomew, he was flogged to death in Armenia. James, the other James, was thrown off the, su- the, the southern pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. They just took him to the highest part and just threw him off. Well, that didn't kill him, so they got clubs and they clubbed him to death. Matthias, the one who replaced Judas Iscariot, they stoned him to death and then they beheaded him. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Peter was crucified upside down. And John the Beloved, well, they tried to kill him. They they put him in a cauldron of boiling oil, but he wouldn't die. So they exiled him to the Isle of, of Patmos until he died of natural causes. He was the only disciple who died of natural causes. The disciples, they took it seriously. They actually gave up their lives. They took it literally. Well, we at least ought to take it figuratively. You may not die for Christ like some of them physically, but you at least have to die unto yourself. Here's a challenge. If you're not walking in victory and you're not walking in misery, then you may just be walking in mediocrity. For so many believers are in between there. Nobody's trying to boil you in oil or you're not having to have the miraculous of God come and bail you out. It may not be. And you're not as miserable as some people, but you're also not excited. Misery is in between. Even the Lord made a difference between hot and cold. He said, I wish that you were either one, either hot or cold. But, but please don't be, the temperature is spit. In other words, he said, if you're in between, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So if Jesus hung on his cross, Certainly you can carry yours. In fact, look over your neighbor and say, are you carrying your cross? No, no. Ask him, do you even know what your cross is? Anything less than complete surrender of our lives to the Lordship of Christ is really robbing God of the glory that's due his name. Are you there, saints? Not only is it robbing God's glory, but it's cheating yourself out of the eternal reward that God has for you. You really don't come alive in the truest sense until we've died to ourselves. And we won't find ourselves until we lose ourselves for the cause of Christ. I want to talk with you just a moment about finders are weepers and losers are keepers. I grew up as a kid, and if you found something on the ground, 
You know it didn't belong to you, but you found it on the ground. So if it was on the ground, that meant, you know, anybody could have it, right? And if you found it and somebody said, that's mine, you would say, what would you say? Yeah, yeah, that's what we'd say. But actually, in the kingdom, it's the other way around. Finders are weepers. Losers are keepers. What the Lord does, he turns it right side up for us. For those that don't understand, he turns it inside out. The problem is we have been living according to the gospel of America. We've Americanized the gospel. Is that kind of an amazing thing? We have Americanized the gospel, or rather we've spiritualized the American dream. For too many Christians, the, great, the highest thing in life is for you to be happy and healthy. Oh, you don't know, sorry. To be, look at your name, say it, to be rich, amen. Nothing wrong in the world with being rich. But for so many Christians, the highest priority of their life is getting paid. I was watching the BET Awards. Anybody watch the BET Awards? If you didn't, you didn't miss anything. I don't even want you to go pull it up on Netflix. It becomes apparent, though, that what people value most is getting paid. You only get a relationship with God on his terms. The problem is we want God, but we want God on our own terms. But the way it really is, you can take it or you can leave it. God's plan won't change. His deal on the table, he will not alter for you. In fact, if you really understood the deal on the table, you wouldn't even want to alter the deal. The Apostle Paul defines the deal this way. He says, God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The moment you bow your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, the moment you say, Lord, Jesus, I want you as my Lord. Check this out. All of your sin is transferred to Christ's account and paid in full. Tap your neighbor and say, your debt has been paid in full. The Bible says he nailed that to the cross oh, more than 2,000 years ago. But that's only half the gospel. Mercy is, is, is not getting what you deserve. Has anybody ever gotten mercy from your parents? When you know you deserved a beating, but they didn't do it. Have you ever had been in a situation when you were found out, you were caught, and you knew you was coming, and they, they decided not to beat you for whatever reason? You were like, Mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. We need them both. That's why the deal on the table is so important. Everything you've done wrong is forgiven and forgotten. Everything you've done wrong is forgiven and forgotten. 
And everything Christ did right is put on your record, on your account. And then God calls it even. Mm. It's like God is saying, I'll take the blame for everything you did, for everything you did wrong. And you, and I'll give you the credit for everything I did right. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. That's why it's called the gospel, because really, it's really good news. Actually, more than good news, it's the best news. It's the greatest news that nothing, nothing evil, wicked is on your account. Nothing. For those of, you, for those of us who believe Jesus, he, he, he says, I tell you what, I know you did it. It's not like you didn't do it. I'm just going to treat you just as if you've never sinned. And how is he able to do that? The deal on the table is, I'll take your place. I'll take your punishment. In fact, one of the, one of the saddest things in the world is for a person not to realize they deserve punishment. Have you ever met people that feel like the world owes them something? You know, the message of the gospel is really simple, but it's very powerful. It says you owe God everything because he took everything you ever did. God has the right to take your sin because he poured it upon Jesus. That ought to change the way you look at yourself. It ought to change the way you walk, the way you live. It ought to change your performance immensely when you understand that God Almighty is not looking at you like you're the sinner. God Almighty is looking at you through his son, Jesus Christ. He decides, if I pour my wrath out on the world, the world will be destroyed. So instead, I'll pour my wrath out on Jesus. In fact, when you look at the crucifixion, you're looking at a picture of God the Father's, his raging wrath against sin. You look at the crucifixion, you get an idea of what the Father feels about what sin really is, how wicked it really is. Jesus said, well, I'll take all of that for you. I'll empty God's cup of wrath poured out. Father, you are just, you have to pour it out somewhere. Somebody got to go to jail. Anybody see, uh, anybody see, uh, anybody see National Treasure? I can't call his name. Is it, is it? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. You want to get Nicholas Cage? You know, at the end of the movie, you know, when, when they finally found the treasure, right? And he said, he said well, you, you don't, you're not a very good negotiator. Just what you want? Nick said, well, I very much would not want to go to jail. And the, and the FBI agent said, somebody got to go to jail. And then Nicholas said, well, I think I can arrange that. I think I got somebody that can go in my place. It's like the father, you know, the father, the father, after, after pouring out everything, excuse me, there was no wrath like wine, no wrath left in the cup. It was completely poured out, and Christ received all of it. That's why he said, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? 
God said, I, here's, here's my demonstration of how I really feel about you. I'm pouring it out on you, on Christ. And Christ, who volunteered, even said at one point, you know, Father, if there's any other way you can get this done, maybe you could, maybe, is, is there any other way? But because he and the Father were in counsel, in the eternal counsel, Jesus responds, even in his flesh, which was anticipating the pain, said, not my will, Lord, yours be done. And the Father did exactly that. Pouring out his wrath on Christ. You see Christ hanging there and he says things like, Father, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Forgive them. They don't understand the depth of what they do. Father, though it's breaking his heart, is pouring out the wrath of God from beginning to end, emptying out his wrath on his own son for our sin. What a deal. Then the father says, if you don't want the wrath, if you want the grace and the mercy then you have to have or receive my son. If you don't receive what I did for him, you don't get what I did for you. Wow. But the simplicity is, if you're willing, if you're willing to receive what I did to my son, then every, every evil thing you've done, I'll transfer it. And that transfer is reciprocal because once that's transferred, what comes to you is every good thing he did. A goodness that's not your own. A goodness that really you did not earn and could not earn. But in receiving that goodness, you have to give up your evil. The deal is amazing. The world hasn't responded because the world, I'm convinced, hasn't really heard the message. Father God's not asking you to give him back religion. Father God is not asking you. He, he actually, the command of, of the Lord is that your salvation is not just, is not based on how many church services you attend, although it's a good thing to do. The gospel is not about how many good acts you can do so that the Father will forgive you. Tap your neighbor and say, he had to forgive you before he accepts any acts from you. So Jesus, he becomes that answer. And then God, he calls everything square. The gospel cost nothing. That is, you cannot pay for it. We cannot earn it. You can't buy it. It can only be received as a free gift. Compliments of the Father's grace. So it costs nothing, but it demands everything. It costs you nothing. You can't go in your pocket from something you have, you, you possess, and nothing you presently possess can, can be enough 
You can't shell out enough hundreds to pay for it. Because if you can pay for it, that means you earned it. If, if all the good you could ever do was enough, then Christ died for nothing. This life is so radically different than what Americanism has made it to be. For unfortunately, too many believers are going to church to pay God back. Tap your neighbor and say, you couldn't pay him back if you tried, baby. But there's a problem in it. Yeah, there is, because anybody who receives that kind of mercy and grace, you understand, you understand inside that I owe something. I mean, come on. Inside, you know, it's not free. It's just you can't pay for it with money or acts. So instead of trying to pay for it, what God the Father is looking for is a heart and an attitude. The Father God is looking for an attitude of gratitude. He's looking for a heart that understands what it cost him to get us what we received. That, my friend, is very, very different. And so the Bible keeps declaring again, you can't earn it, you have to receive it. Even though it demands everything. Where we get stuck is right here. Kind of in a, in a spiritual no man's land. It, it, it looks like this. We're too Christian to enjoy sin. And we're too sinful to enjoy Christ. Do you feel me? It's a horrible place to live. In that in-between. We get stuck there for several reasons. We, have, we, we got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. We want everything God has to offer without giving anything up. I want Jesus, but I want to give up this. This is mine, this is mine, this is mine. Whether it's your time, whether it's your resources, whether it's your own personal life, you know, that you, you know, you get your own personal time. I think they call that me time. Is that right? Tap your name and say, Jesus wants your me time. <laughs> we want to buy in without selling out. We want everything God has to offer without giving up anything. We're afraid that if we don't hold out on God, we'll miss out on what life has to offer. Have you seen folks, you know, you know they, they, they want to have enough show to say that I really am a Christian. We came from the church and said, Lord, I want to be a Christian. 
in my heart, in my heart. We come from those places. Lord, I want to be more loving. We get stuck in that, that religious place. I want everything you got. You know, I was talking about last week. I, I, I think it was Steve Harvey was talking about, it was on YouTube or something. And Steve had been talking to Joel Osteen. And Joel Osteen was talking about, you know, the, the story of the guy who went to heaven. And he was so happy to be there. And the angel was taking him on a tour. And, and he, he passed these rooms. And he noticed there were names on these doors. And he, got, he came to one door, and his name was on the door. He said, my name's on this door. He said, yeah, come on. You know. He said, my, wait, 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 my name's on there. He said, oh, come on. He said, I wanna, what's in that room? He, the angel said, you don't want to know what's in that room. He said, no, really, what, what's in the room? My name's on it. Okay. Angel opened the door, went inside, and incredible packages, resources, all of them signed, sealed, to be sent to him. But it's the stuff he never asked for. It's the stuff he never received. So Steve Harvey on, on, the, on the YouTube was saying, Lord, I want everything you got for me. I don't want to leave nothing. How many of y'all feel that way? I want everything. If, he, if it's in heaven, if it's for me, I want everything you want. The problem is we want everything from God that he wants, but we don't want to give him nothing. For a few more, a few more moments this morning, I want to disturb. I want to dis, I did it on purpose. I was thinking about it last night. I said, Lord, you want me? Yeah, I want you to, I want to disturb. I want to disturb your quiet place. I want to disturb your private time. I want to disturb your private life because the gospel is the, is the word of the Lord that comes to you and says, I want everything. In fact, truth be told, he paid for it, did he not? Bought you hook, line, and sinker. Paid all your debts that you could not bailed you out, and then served the sentence for you. Unstrapped you from that electric chair you deserved and set himself there. Got you off the table and took your lethal injection. Anybody here have courage enough to admit I deserve the lethal injection? And that's what we're dealing with. American Christianity says, you can have it all. American Christianity says, it's the American dream. Young, healthy, rich, fabulous. <laughs> that's really living the Christian life. You know, in America, we make the gospel good news, and the only good news we receive, unfortunately, is you made it. I've been listening to songs uh, that believers sing about I made it. Somebody said, never would have made it. Didn't somebody sing that song? It's kind of amazing to me when I, when I hear, what, have you ever just took a, you should, 
this week, take a survey. Go to the gospel station. And, and don't get happy. Just listen to the words. No, really. Listen to the words of what they're singing. It's an amazing You will not hear unless you give up your life, unless you die. You cannot live. You want to follow me? You got to give up something for me. What you want, God? I want your life. My life? Yeah, I want all of it. Spirit, soul, body. Time, money, everything. That's, that's the deal. What do I get? Well, you get not to die a horrible death eternally. <laughs> now, I'm not sure about your physical death, what that's going to be. depends on how I decide to use you. But I want to promise you this one thing, beloved. All those guys that I named and all the, all the Christians who martyred themselves, I promise you, when they, when they were dying, they weren't regretting it. If the evidence was out about you, of you being accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I came to rattle the cage just a little bit this morning. You live in a world that hates the kingdom of God. You listen to a media that hates the church hates the cause of Christ. You're subjected to, I, I, it's, a, it's an amazing, they, you came out with a figure of how many signals you're receiving in a single 24-hour period that are negative against God, against his gospel, against his church, and against his Christ. And the only way, place you can get peace is if you become an American Christian. that is focused on your retirement, your salary. Thank God for retirement. Thank God for salary. But if that's your only focus, that's the kind of world we live in. What kind of car you drive? What kind of clothes you wear? What neighborhood you live in? Hmm. There's a silence in here today. And yet, when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, you want to follow me? It's like the Lord says, you want to go on an adventure? When the Lord comes, when he breaks into the world, at the time in history he broke into that world, it wasn't a lot different. Our technology was different, but the situations weren't much different than they are right now. When Jesus comes on the scene, and he begins to People begin to inquire, how you do that? What, what did you say? Yeah, I, I don't think the elders are going to like that preaching. He comes on the scene, he starts talking about the things of God and the kingdom of God. It sounds so, he who saves his life will lose it? Really? Jesus came talking about, well, you know, if your enemy slap you, turn the other cheek. Oh, come on now, really? Some of you... You got your AK-5747, you got your Glock 16, 
You know, some of y'all got your tasers. Some, the women, women don't want to kill nobody, so they get tasers. I tase, I tase your behind. And I wish you. <laughs> you, you, you got cans of mace. <laughs> Jesus comes into a world like ours, and his message is so incredibly radical. He said, you know what, you want life, then you got to give up the life you got. Now, if you're willing to give up the life you've got, I'll give you the life I've got. And then you must do something, you must follow me. So I think I, I was talking about this in another group, and I said, in the Bible, there's only three times the word Christian is used. And two of them are negative. 269 times the Bible uses the word disciple to describe those who love the Lord. It's a disciplined learner of following him. When they did that in the early, in the New Testament, in the early times of Christ, they did it in such a way that they labeled the whole group as the way. They didn't call them Christians. The, the, the people, they have that way about them. It's the way, it's the, the way. And when you read a little further, you see it's the way they loved, the way they did business, the way they cared for people. The way they responded to negative. The way they worshipped. The way they parented their children. The way they loved their woman, their wife, their husband. It was so evident in their life, the life of Jesus was so evident among them, they didn't know what else to call them, so they said, the, the way. Then they, then they use the word, this sect called the way. Jesus didn't come to make America a lighthouse. Jesus came to make the church, his church, a lighthouse. There's a huge shift going on, beloved, in our nation, and we are a part of it. It's a different way of looking at Christ's church. All of a sudden, it's not a steeple and stained glass anymore. It's people who have such a relationship with each other, they have this way about them. And that way came about from every single one of them who took the deal. And the deal is this. You want to follow me? You want life? You got to give up yours. You got to lay down yours. And I tell you what, when you do that, I'm going to give you mine. Some of times we, we don't take that deal because like Eve listened to Satan, Satan said the same thing. You know, God, he really, he holding out, he holding out on you. He ain't told you everything. Go on, child, eat this apple. Excuse me, I don't know if it was an apple. He didn't say apple. He just said fruit. Go on, eat it. You know, you know, you know, God. You know. Come on, you know something must be up. He gonna give you everything in the garden, but he gonna leave this one. You know, come on. She ate. The Bible says her eyes are open. But the 
the truth her eyes were open to was the fact that she really, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's proper to use that word in the pulpit, she really screwed up. Adam comes along, he says to her, him, you better have some of this. And Adam is thinking, didn't God say, we weren't supposed to eat it? She said, yeah, but, you know, you know, I just, I was just checking it out. So you really won't see what I see until you eat what I'm eating. By the way, in that scenario, it also describes this relationship between husband and wife. He takes it, he eats. Mm. You know, I think if Adam and Eve could see the results of their disobedience, I'm not sure if they could take it. So God makes this decision that every person born in flesh gets something, gets a package when they're born. It's a way of seeing, a way of acting, a way of living. You don't have to teach people to do evil. And none of your children, you had to teach them to sin. They just know what to do. And what's so bad about it is there's no way out of that. You can't educate sin out. Tell your neighbor what I said. You cannot educate sin away. You can't, you can't smoke sin away. Please tell on the left and on the right. Tell them that you cannot smoke it away, no matter how much. You can smoke yourself to, to is it dysphoria? Is that the right word? Say it again. Euphoria, thank you, not dis. <laughs> euphoria, you know, you can, yeah, man, oh, man. Man. If the church is even going to have to decide whether the way of God is the way of weed or not. Because the government is saying this is, a, this is a, one of the ways you can take legally. I'm sorry, am I talking to the right people? Because when the legality is gone, then we can live in that no man, that boredom land. Not enough Christ to be transformed. So we live in all the indulgences. In the words of the Apostle Paul, come to rise, they say, you know what? All things are lawful for me, but everything is not expedient for me. And I will not be captured or held in bondage by any of it. We're, we're going to have to decide. Beloved, all of us here, we're going to have to decide whether or not that is the way you're going to go. I'm talking about it because it's so prevalent today. And now it's become, I met a guy in a shop. That's what he does. How do you make a living? Oh, man, I sell cannabis oil. Cannabis oil. And when he said it so fast, I didn't understand it, so I looked over at my wife. I said, what did he say? Cannabis. Oh, Jesus. So Jesus said, you can have my life. I'm almost done. You can have my life. You can have my, you can have my life. But in order for you to have my life, there's not room enough for you to have my life and live in your life. There must be an exchange. 
If you're going to live, you've got to die. Are you all there? All of this is about him. If you want all of him, then he wants all of you. If you don't hold out on God, I promise you, I promise you God will not hold out on you. Take this to the bank. Psalms 84, 11. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Don't you think for one moment there are not joys that God wants you to, it wants every single one of us to experience and walk in. He will not withhold any good thing from you. But there is a requirement from those who walk uprightly. God wants your life, your personal me time, do my own thing life. God says, I, I lay, if I'm going to have you, I want all of you. Isn't that what the song says? Take all of me. Is that right? Take all of me. I'm yours. That's, that's really what the Lord does. He says, you know, I'll take all of you, but I want, I want some of you. How many of you men here who are married would want a wife that was 100% yours except for one day of the week? On one day of the week, she could do anything, go any place, be with anyone she wanted to be with. Um, let me reverse the question. Brothers, how many brothers, you know, you would want a wife that way? You know, she's mine, but I tell you what, you know, one day, okay, all right, uh, forgive me, one day a year, you know, maybe she needs to purge. After all, Hollywood's telling us the way you deal with sin is you just purge. Get it on out. I dare say not one of you, not one of you are buying that deal. Not if you're in your right mind. Because there's something about this relationship that requires how much? Everything. I don't want some of you, baby. I want all of you. She doesn't want a portion of your life, sir. She wants all of it. Well, shoot, if you're going to clap, clap, you know. No, but <laughs> so the Lord, he, he, this is what he does. So here's where I'm going to end this this morning. I'm going to end it with and I'm, I'm not, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to end it and leave it. Lord, have mercy. Yeah. So in Mark chapter 10, there's a story. It's one of the stories that, of all times, that change, stories that change the world. Except this story is a real one. It's not a story that the Lord gives us as a, like a parable or an example to a kingdom principle. This story is a real one. And I'm just going to tell you about it and then I'm going to pick this right back up 
because there's some things I want to tell you don't want to miss. But some of you are playing God cheap. And some of you are holding out on the Lord. And he does not want to hold out on you. So Jesus is about to go on a journey. But before he leaves that place, there was a, there was a, there was a, a, a young man that came up to him and knelt before him. This is Mark 10, 17 through 21. So maybe during your week this, during the week this week, you would check that out. Because I want to talk about him because there's some things in his life that I want you to avoid. And the, the opposite is so glorious. So this young man comes to the Lord. And this young cat, he has got it all. He's a rich, he's not rich and old. You know, if you're rich and you're old, you're still limited. You, know, you have less limitations with more money. But, but, but if, you're rich, if you're rich and young, oh, Lord have mercy. He's rich, he's young, and he has power. He's in a power position. If we, if, we, if we translated the story into corporate America, he, 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 he's a corporate exec. He's got his retirement already in the bank, making money. He doesn't want for anything. If he wants to act like he's frugal and buy a Tesla, he can. Are you there? He's rich. He's young. Are you there, saints? And he comes to Jesus and he says, he kneels before the Lord and he says, good teacher. It's kind of amazing what he uses. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, it's kind of amazing that he thought, check it out, eternal life was something you inherit. It's kind of interesting because an inheritance comes from your parents or somebody's death, right? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, my God. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? I thought that was an amazing answer. Jesus, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't sleep around. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't cheat. And then the one positive thing he said, honor your mom and your dad. You be fine. The young, the rich young ruler said, oh, hey, you know, I've done all these for my... I've done all these for my, you know, I've been, I, all my life I've done these things. He probably was thinking, that's one of the reasons why I'm rich. Because I live a good life. I don't lie. Morally, I'm clean. Are you all breathing? <laughs> to the Lord. <laughs> he's, he's looking at this young cat. He's, well, I, I've done, he probably stood up at that time. I just imagine, and we'll probably act like, you know, I've done these things. Like, you know, I've done these things. I'm a, I'm a good dude. 
Read just a little further before I stop. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Jesus felt compassion for him. Jesus loved him, looked at him and loved him. I, I could see the Lord packing his things and he's about to travel and a young guy comes and kneels down. He's, he's talking to the Lord to kind of, you know, getting himself together. He said, well, you know the commandments, you know. And, 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 and the, young, see, the young guy looks at him and says, I've done, done all these things. Jesus said, kind of looks at him. But he doesn't just, it's not, it's not a regular look. The Bible says he looked at him and he loved him. Some of you need to rethink the love of God because I'm about to hurt you right now. Jesus loved the Bible. Says he loved him. And he said, well, here's what you lack. How many of you know Jesus knows how to go to the juggler of your vein? <laughs> he said to him, he said, I'll tell you what, take all your, all your earnings, all your property, all your stocks and bonds, take all your, with all your holdings. I want you to liquidate everything. I want you to distribute it out to the poor. And come and follow me. <laughs> I got the Say well. <laughs> now the reason why this really got me because you know many of us we don't have unlimited holdings. It's not like. As the Apostle Paul said, not many of us are wealthy. Not many of us are rich. He says to this rich young ruler, you want life? Here's what it's going to cost you. Take everything you've, you've used to build up your life. Liquidate it and give it away. Well, come on now. Some of us are thinking, you know, that's, that's kind of cold-blooded. Jesus doesn't blink. Jesus doesn't renegotiate in his heart about what he's saying to this cat. He doesn't second-guess himself. He goes right to the heart of the matter because he sees it very clearly. The essence of your life is based on the stuff you got. And that stuff keeps you from me. The way you've structured your lifestyle, the way, you've, the, the way you have uh, structured your morality, it's all about you. But how many of you, how many of you get this? If everything was there, he would never have asked the question. And I want you to remember this as we close today, that there are people around you, they got more stuff than you have, but they're asking the question too. Because they know inside something is missing. So Jesus compassionately says, here's what it is. Sell it all. Give it all up. All, all of it. If Jesus asked a poor man to do this, you know, it would like, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? So he, 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 I never see the Lord in, in the scripture say that to a poor person. He has to ask them for something else. They got to give up something else. They got to give up their poverty. 
They have to give up what they don't have. Why they don't have it? Give up their excusitis. Give up their, their, their vengeance in their heart against people who've done it to them. But with this guy, the Lord sees exactly what it is. He says, you know what? What you have created is keeping you from the creator. Sell it all. By the way, I, I, I end this for real. Oh, his, disciple, his disciples are all listening to him, and they went, what? Did you hear what he said? You want that man to sell? Did he, did he say what? I, yeah, he told me to sell everything. And then the disciples said, Lord, you look at it a little further this week and come back, we'll talk about it. Peter, he says, you know, uh, Jesus, uh, uh, you know, we done left everything, dude. We left our boats, our nets, our father's business. <laughs> and then Jesus said it again to the crowd, unless you give up everything, you can't follow me. Then he, then he really got ugly. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. He said, what? Don't say what? Play me some music so I can quit, man. Now this is amazing because they just don't, they just like, what? Oh, my God. Then, then they say, well, if that's the case, who can be saved? Because all of them would think about the little, the little bit they, little, they had, you know, a little bit they had. You mean, you, gotta, how we go? you mean to tell me if I've got stuff I can't get in? Jesus said, with men it is impossible. And then he goes on to say, but with God, all things are possible. And I want to I stop right there. Because before I give you the really, 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 really almost unbelievable stuff, you got to get the first part right. I, I purposely today was wrestling with this last night because you and I must evaluate, is your whole life his? Whatever you're holding back is equivalent to what you're holding up. Whatever you haven't said is yours, Lord. You can tell when, when, when somebody does that because what it does, it breaks them in their heart. And we just got through fasting and praying about brokenness. Your anointing doesn't flow until your heart is broken. So the Lord offers you something today. I stand in the name of the Lord today and his stead today and say to you, you want to follow him? It's going to cost you everything. Real, for real, dog. It's going to cost you everything. And don't, don't be, don't, don't, don't tell God, but Lord, you know I. There is no knowledge he doesn't possess. He knows what you have and what you, what you have left, what you have remained for yourself. He doesn't have, does he have access to every and anything that you have? All your endeavors, all your resources, all your securities. Have you said, Lord, it's yours. 
He said, this is what it will cost you to be my disciple. And if you give me that, I will give you my life. I want you to bow your heads right there where you sit. He didn't lie when he said that. And so the results of the lives of the disciples, when you see their lives, you know they sold out. They sold out everything. And then finally they sold out the very breath in their bodies. But why would a person do that? Obviously something that God gave them was so compelling until nothing they had in this world could compare or, or was worthy of it. So the Lord, he, he knows exactly, and he knows what it takes to follow him, so he gives that invitation. You'll see the Lord from time to time thin the crowd. He'll say things like, unless you die for me, you, you can't live. He'll say things like, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. So the Lord, that's the way he, that's the way he makes invitations. Anything you're holding on to instead of him becomes a hindrance to what God wants to do with your life. So I give this invitation today for those of you who have held back some of the things that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you about. Your heart. Your service to Him. I'll follow you anywhere you go as long as you just go to church. I'll say anything you want me to say as long as I'm saying it in church. I'll meet anybody you want me to meet as long as I meet them in church. I'll hang out with anybody you want me to hang out with as long as they go to church. So the very ministry that God and the very life that God has for you is being held up because you think God is somehow holding out on you. And so as a result, things that God wants, they get held up. With courage in your heart as you stand to your feet today. Finders keepers, losers weepers. No, actually in the kingdom, finders are weepers. The reason why finders are with you, we, yeah, I had to look at my own notes, right? The reason why finders are weepers is because, see, if you find your life without Christ, at the end you get nothing. You get nothing. What's at stake here is not only this present world. Don't miss next week. You're, gonna, you're not going to believe it. Look, to be honest with you, I didn't want to share it today because I was still wrestling in myself because I had to go back and listen. Lord, did you really say Did you really say that? Did they make a, a grammatical error? You know, did the translators, tra they didn't translate it right. I'm back looking in the original language to see if they lied. And they didn't lie. And I said, well, Lord, if that's the truth, why, why don't we see it? He said, because you didn't do what I said for you to do.
I said I want everything. And you meant everything. When you do that, then I will do this. It's just playing games in between that mediocre Christian, you know, that American Christian, going for the American dream instead of God's dream. Not realizing that his dream is far greater than the American dream. I can't, I can't, I can't let that loose. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want to do this.